Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. That's all right. Ask the Dean episode 66 with my fellow mapped team. Dr. Scott Wright, how are you doing today? Excelente. I'm doing Muy, really well. Muy excelente. Muy excelente. That is, that is great. Verinia Granum, our newest advisor extraordinaire. How are you doing, my friend? You are muted. Or I cannot hear you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much. That is wonderful, wonderful. And MAPT co-founder, Rachel Grubbs. How are you? Hello. I'm excellent. Excelente. Movie excelente. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Dr. Ryan Gray. Co-founder of MAPT, podcast creator extraordinaire. I like extraordinaire. It's just a good word. Anyway, we're here for mm -hmm. Ask the Dean. It's our new time slot. We have a new bat channel, new bat time. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern going live on the Medical School HQ channel, YouTube channel, the MAPT YouTube channel, and uh, Instagram Live I got uh, going here as well. So if you're watching on Instagram Live, we are taking questions from YouTube. That's where we can pull questions in. So go ask questions over there. So this is this is your time to shine for all of you watching. This is your time to ask questions. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, used to run the whole TMDSAS application service. Verinia Granum, also a pre-med expert as the former assistant dean of advising and STEM extraordinaire. Again, I love that word. Uh, at Hofstra. Um, Rachel Grubbs has 20 years experience in the MCAT space. Uh, and I, I'm just a lowly doctor here on the, the call. Um, uh, I've written a few books, but let's uh, let's get started. If you guys have questions, they're coming fast and furious. So let's let's go and get get started. I was a PCT during summer, but quit due to night shifts being unmanageable in the school year. I just got a job as a clinic intern to get more experience while quitting my PCG PCT job over a summer raise flags. It's a very common concern, right? I quit my job or I was only there for X number of months, right? The the, the red flag, right, Vernia, is I quit my job and I didn't do anything else. <laughs> right. I just, I stopped doing everything. I, I, I went and hung out in my room and played video games all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's the red flag. <laughs> yeah, they got another job. They're good. Yeah, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Easy peasy. All right, let's do easy questions. I like easy questions. Good afternoon, all. Can you describe the timeline for letters of intent and when they are appropriate to send post-interview? Oh, Dr. Scott Wright, students love this question because they think this letter of intent is the holy grail. If I send a letter, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm the bee's knees and they're going to accept me on the spot. Right. No. right. Former <clears throat> of admissions, when you got a letter of intent, for your specific school, right? You can only speak to to your program. Uh, what what did you do with those letters of intent? Well, uh, frankly, they went into the big circular file, <laughs> aka the trash can. Right. Uh, they don't mean anything. Uh, you know, your intent your intent is illustrated by your application. Yep. And uh, and so I, I don't think it's ever you know, it's not in. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, deem it inappropriate to send, but it just doesn't mean anything. And so yep. I think it's a, a waste of time. You know, later in the process, if you're in the if you're in the uh, uh, the waiting list or the alternate pool or whatever, then, you know, potentially I would say, you know, you could send a letter at that point and say, yeah, if you make me an offer, I'll be there or, you know, something to that effect. But <laughs> 
me an offer I can't refuse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, sending something post-interview, I, I just don't think it uh, has any meaning to admissions committees. Yeah. And and we have to put a, an asterisk on that, right? Because you were director of admissions pre-new traffic rules, which correct. went into effect a couple of years ago. That's and, correct. And, and for all of you, educate yourself. Go Google uh, AAMC traffic rules. And, and what you'll find is that a couple of years ago, I think in 2019, the AAMC implemented new rules for medical schools that were stricter. And schools initially didn't like it because previously medical schools, when they were looking at the, the students that they interviewed, they could see, OK, did this school, did this student get in somewhere else? Where did they get in? Oh, that school is crappy. They'll, they'll come to our school if we accept them. Or, oh, they got into Harvard. They're not going to come to our school if we accept them. Schools could play that game, but now they can't. And so medical schools are much more potentially conservative. Again, every admissions committee is going to be different, mm -hmm. but medical schools don't have the visibility that they used to have in terms of where you may have been accepted um elsewhere and they've interviewed you and so a letter of intent may have a little bit more weight nowadays with the new traffic rules specifically if you already have an acceptance somewhere else so it's not coming off as desperation but you say hey university of whatever i loved my interview day and i really appreciate you taking the time to interview me whatever you want to say i have an acceptance at another school but you are my top choice for X, Y, Z. And if you accept me, I will come, right? And that potentially will give them a little bit of security to go, okay, we have a little bit more knowledge about this student. If we accept this student, they will come. Because it's a game, right, Scott? You used to play this game all the time of like, I have 200 seats, I need to accept 230 because I know historically I have a drop off of X number of people or people that just don't come or they want to delay a year. And so it's this constant game of, I can't accept too many. I can't accept too little. It's, it's like Goldilocks, right? It's just got to be just yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and, and a potential letter with new traffic rules may help later in the cycle. Yeah, I, I think so. I think later in the cycle, you're absolutely right, is when it, it becomes a more um, advantageous kind of a, a activity for an applicant and for the medical schools as well. Uh, now, having said that, I do want to point out that for those students that are applying to Texas medical schools, Texas schools still uh, do partic still participate in such a way that they know where offers are being placed. They, they do not uh, uh, have the same traffic rules that the AAMC yep. schools have. And so they do know based on schools within Texas where you're holding or where you may have gotten an offer or stuff like that. Yep. But I, I will I will hasten to add that, um, you know, students make choices among medical schools for various reasons. And so a, a school that is higher ranked or more prestigious or whatever does not necessarily mean a student's going to go there. Uh, there are financial aid implications. There are, you know, I had a student last year who um, got into a, a variety of schools, several very high ranked schools, uh, and ended up going to a lower ranked school because they gave him a full scholarship. Yeah. And so, you know, there are a lot of different things that are that are that students are facing and reasons that they make decisions. And so I would say uh, schools still are in a, uh, you know, don't always, you know, pay attention to uh, things like that in terms of uh, decisions that they make or um, or pay attention to what necessarily is in a letter of intent. Uh, because there, you know, things can change often re uh, regarding a, a situation that the student is in or whatever. Yep. Love it. Love it. So moral of the story, it's not going to hurt you to send it, right. send it at the right time, right. send it appropriately. Don't send a letter of intent to every school out there. Right. Um, and if you do be sure and change the name of the school in each letter, <laughs> I'm sure you've never seen that. Never saw it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Too funny. All right. So next question here. How do medical schools view applicants that completed a master's degree online? The master's degree allows students to take courses similar to medical school courses and has a good reputation. Aha. 
I would, I mean, I would say that particularly now in the COVID days where everything went online and I think medical schools are getting the, the message that online education is not uh, necessarily um, easier. I think in some ways it's even more difficult uh, in some situations. And so I, I think that, uh, I, I, I just don't think within the current environment that medical schools are going to look down on, uh, online education. Uh, I think it depends on, you know, what the master's degree is in and on the performance of the student in that master's degree program. But otherwise I think, I don't think that that would be something that I would necessarily, uh, think that medical schools are going to, uh, look poorly on or anything like that yeah it's one of the silver linings of COVID potentially yeah absolutely and to your point um scott regarding the difficulty of it it can be much more difficult right because you're yep. balancing you know workload plus maybe you're working full-time or you have a family as well so right. i think i think um that in itself is is a skill right time management managing a full-time degree program online um, and you have to be very disciplined to do it because oftentimes, you know, you may have an instructor or you may, it may just be a self-guided course. So I think um, for anyone there out there who's maybe considering some online uh, graduate work, um, it's, it's, it's viewed, it's being viewed more positively as Dr. Wright was just saying. Yep. Agreed. I spent undergrad pursuing vet med, but as a senior, I did research and was in a leadership role that made me more interested in human med. Have you seen students make this switch or have any advice? See it all the time. Yep. Right? It happens all the time. Like, uh, my patients can't talk to me and I want to talk to patients. Um, so I want to go to human med and not yep. be a pediatrician. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so it happens all the time, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. the story that you tell. Right. And your mm -hmm. personal statement, this journey that you've been on, the experiences that you've had, where, where is a, a, a common mistake? I'm assuming a common mistake potentially is leaning all the vet med experience going, well, med is med. And so I'm just going to apply to human medical school without any human clinical experience because I spent all my time as a vet tech and that that'll be good enough because medicine is medicine. Nope. Nope. All right. They're different. So yep. you can't can't lean on that. Yep. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Just yeah. go chase it. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> I'm a freshman at university. Do you recommend any books or um, something that can help me get a higher score in the MCAT and something, something? Uh, so a higher score in the MCAT. Right, Rachel, this is this is your expertise. I think I think we commonly say that the best MCAT prep is to do well in your undergrad courses. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the one common misconception with the MCAT is that it's a test you can study for like a final, where if you, um, especially coming out of high school, right, because the student said they're in their first year of college, um, you can often get away in high school and in some college courses with participating in class and then cramming a few weeks or a few days before an exam. And the MCAT is totally different. It's going to expect you to retain knowledge from throughout your undergraduate college career. So the first step is get a bunch of A's and don't just get the A's, actually learn the material. So every time you're slogging through something, don't just think I just need to get an A on this test. Think I need to I need to learn this and remember it because I'm going to use it again in two and a half years or three years on the MCAT. Um, so that's step one. And then for, for this commenter, I know sometimes when we're in live chat and you're just like trying to get that question in really fast to put it to top to top queue. So I am typo queen. Um, but I noticed that you have a fair amount of typos and I don't know if that means that um, you're just typing fast or if English is a language you're still learning. Um, but if it is the second, if you're an English language learner, then you want to really, really work on your reading skills because the MCAT tests your ability to read as much as it tests your science knowledge. And that's not just true for English language learners. It just kind of twigged that thought for me. But remember that college is not all about 
science knowledge. It's not all about just learning and retaining information. You need to be building your critical reading and crit critical thinking skills. It will help you in school, it will help you on the MCAT, and it will help you as a doctor. Um, so read, 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 and think deeply about what you're reading. Talk to people about it. Take some classes where you have to write essays and participate in discussions. It will do you nothing but good. Yep. Yeah. And as our great friend on, on our YouTube ads reminds us. The MCAT is hard and the MCAT is important. And to do well on the exam, it matters how you prep and not just. Oh, Rob Frannick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know his name. Oh, that's oh, yeah. amazing. Now I know I that man. I used to work with name. that guy. Yeah. He gives <laughs> students nightmares. Um, that ad yeah, yeah. chases them around everywhere. I'm aware. <laughs> He's a good guy. That's not a good ad. <laughs> okay. Rob Frannick. That's his name? Yeah. Well, All I didn't right. even see it. I just recognized the voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> He's got a name. All right. I love it. Does transferring from a community college to a private school, NYU, look better than transferring to a state school? I got a scholarship for both schools. Very common question of prestige of university, right? We can remove the transferring from community college part and just say, does going to a prestigious school like NYU look better than going to a state school? No. All right. No, I think head shakes well. all around. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key in terms of where you go to school is where are you going to fit best. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the key because ultimately, where you fit best, you're going to do better there. Yep. And so, if if NYU is a school that, that you you really feel a, a great personal fit into, and it, it works into your you know other parts of your life, then that's where you should go. If the state school really is 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 a better fit for you than go there because ultimately you want to do well in the courses wherever you go and so but you'll do better at a school where you fit whether it's geographically or there's support networks nearby such as family or whatever uh so you know i i would pay less attention to the public private you know issue than uh than than the fit yeah it's it's the same answer for is this major better or is that major better? Right. right? It's that's, that's exactly which right. which major are you going to resonate with the most? Which major is going to fill your class schedule the most with classes that you're going to be passionate about? And you're going to love to go study and learn and um, really uh, glow when you talk about them and obviously get those good grades as well. Yep. Is there any truth? <laughs> I love questions that start with this. Uh, to a high MCAT score improving out-of-state chances. MCAT 522, cumulative GPA 368, science 36, uh, 394 in the last 60 credit hours. So amazing upward trend, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Scott Wright, I know there's some potential data that you're privy to with yep. Texas out-of-state yep. because yep. only 10%. Um, yep. I know we've talked about it before. It is the biggest factor really good stats uh or is it something else you think no it really is when it comes down to out-of-state students and at least in texas and i suspect other other places in the country but certainly in texas the the average gpa for out-of-state versus in-state students at to most texas medical schools is very similar the differentiator is the mcat and uh the 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 higher your mcat score the more attention you're going to get as an out-of-state applicant uh, that that's just simply the way it is. And uh, yeah. and so I, I think for for Texas schools, I would in, encourage this guy uh, to to really look at uh, his options around the country uh, and not not really pay attention to the in-state out-of-state issue, because with that with that MCAT score, which, by the way, is a fantastic MCAT score, you know, yeah. great, great score and um, great trends. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you got a lot going for you, assuming that, that the other stuff is there, the clinical work, the, you know, volunteering, uh, stuff like that. Assuming that is is on par with, you know, kind of everybody else, uh, then I then I think that uh, that definitely that MCAT score is going to get some attention. And putting a good story together. Absolutely. Right? A application renovation. If you go watch any of my videos uh, on the uh, premed.tv channel application renovation season three. I had lots of 519, 520, 39, 40 students 
not getting much traction because their application, what they put together in their personal statement, their activity descriptions, secondary essays, and most likely interviews as well, just mm -hmm. completely fell apart and didn't wow. Wow is the wrong word. Uh, didn't wow the admissions committee, but it just didn't resonate with the admissions right. committee. That's, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's where working with Dr. Wright or Verinia, um, any of the mapped advisors helping you craft your story or even just picking up my book uh, at, at, at the least picking up my book about writing a personal statement um, will help you kind of understand the best way to tell your story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I lost my place. That's always sad when that happens. <laughs> With step one becoming pass fail, medical school reputation now be a much greater determinant for residency matching. Do you think this change was influenced by the wealthy schools that would benefit? Uh, wrong yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so this is actually a common question that I get to ask program directors through my specialty stories podcast. And the answer for right now is the weight is just going to shift to step two. Yeah. Um, step two is still scored. And so the, the weight will shift to step two. There may be an expectation that you take step two earlier in your journey. Historically, it's been, you can take it a little bit later because it doesn't weigh as much in residency applications. Uh, some students take it a little bit earlier, like I did. Um, and when I was in medical school, cause I did a little bit worse on step one. So I took step two a little bit earlier and, and, and blew that one out of the water to show residencies. Look, I'm not a dumb, dumb. I just <laughs> didn't prepare well for step one. Um, and so with step two still being scored, the, the weight, as far as everyone I've talked to is just going to shift mm -hmm. to step two and reputation isn't going to matter at all. Right. Oh, or and, it'll matter the same as it historically has, which is, yeah. Weird. And, and I think also it, it's not all about just step two. I'd really also add that it's your clinical evaluations in medical school and that in those third year rotations, you know, the, the schools are really going to be looking at that dean's letter, yep. uh, which really indicates, you know, how you performed in the clinical setting, because that that's what a residency is, you know. All in all, the residency wants you to be ready day one, if at all possible, so that when you walk on that, when you walk on there, uh, on their residency on uh, day one, you're going to be ready to go. You know, you're not going to have to, you know, ramp up for, for three months and, 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 and really, uh, you know, take some time to get ready. Uh, they want you to be ready uh, as quickly as possible. And so they're going to look at those clinical evaluations as well as step two. Yeah. All right. How do medical schools view Eagle Scout? You know, it's funny. I, I have this year, I probably have four or five Eagle Scouts. Yeah. And uh, and, and, and y'all are all kind of shaking your heads with that because and, and I think I think medical schools view it pretty favor favorably. Um, it's interesting because uh, Eagle Scout is not just the accumulation of merit badges and all that stuff that's part of it but it really takes a lot of determination it takes a lot of effort discipline time management and that last sort of eagle scout project that they have to do takes a lot of organizational skills leadership abilities uh and so i think medical schools look at that and, and noting that it's a very low percentage of scouts that ever re reach that level um I, I i think i think medical schools pay attention to that yeah, I understand the prestige. Like you, I know it, I know that system pretty well, and I know how how rare and hard it is. I just wasn't familiar with any college students doing it. Like most of the people I know doing it do it sophomore, junior year of high school. So mm -hmm. I was shaking my head, thinking, "Don't list things that happen before you graduate." Mm -hmm. um, well, but yeah, if this it, person did it in college, yeah. Well, and even if they did it in high school, this is something that could come up as in a secondary application mm -hmm. or it could come up in a personal statement potentially. So yes. Yep. Yeah. It, it may not, in, it may not come into the mix of the activity descriptions, but there are other places in the application where, uh, you know, that can come out. Yeah. Good point. Just, you know, don't right. count on that being the only 
you know, the only thing that's going to get you into medical school. That's right. right. But it is pretty cool that you did but, that. And you're a lot tougher than I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> Same. I here. don't want to go out, out to New Mexico and hang out by myself for 15 days. That does not sound fun to me. <laughs> All right. Can students excel in the pre-med and med school track when having ADHD? All day, every day. Every day. Yeah. All day, every day, they're excelling. Yep. Um, the, yeah. the goal of this whole process is to figure out what works best for you, whether you have ADHD, ADD, autism, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, students are out there figuring out what works best for them. And that's why one of the things I don't like about Reddit and Student Doctor Network and even Pre-Med Hangout, sometimes uh, our own Facebook group, is that students will write this long essay of like, this is everything that works for me. And I have a 520 and a 3.9 GPA. And students treat it as gospel of like, well, it works for that student. It'll work for me. And I just, I don't like that sort of mentality that students take versus like, I'm going to maybe try that little snippet there. And let me try it for a week or two. And, oh, that didn't work. And oh yeah, this other thing I saw on YouTube. Oh, that, that actually works well. I tried it for a week or two and I, I could feel my retention was stronger and my, my attention was better. So, uh, it's, it's a constant game of, uh, of what I call course correction. I, I don't, I haven't talked about that in a while, but course correction is right. You go, you go from day to day of like evaluating and self-reflection and going, how did I do today? Was I on my phone too much? Well, let me course correct. Let me put my phone somewhere else next time or put it on do not disturb or whatever. Um, did I get the the grade that I wanted for my midterm quiz or for my final? If I didn't, how did I prepare? What can I do differently next time? That's course correction every single day, every single week as you go through this process to to continually improve as you go. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of superstars out there who are neurodivergent. It does. Yep does not have to be a hindrance if you can learn to work with it. Yep. Would admissions accept an optional letter of recommendation from three years ago? Normally, I would believe so. But does the COVID-19 pandemic make these letters of rec acceptable? Not in my book. <laughs> not in your book. Yeah. Right. You like you like updated letters. Yeah. Dated I mean, the year of the cycle. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about it, you got a letter from three years ago. The first thing that's going to pop into my mind is what did the letter writer die or did they, <laughs> you know, did they did they not like did you, you have anymore? a falling out? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's up with that? You know, yeah. I, I would just look at that and have all kinds of question marks. And and so, yeah, I would say no. Uh, get a get a new letter from the same letter writer. If you can't, then then jettison that and get get a different letter writer. But I think three year three year old letter is mm -hmm. is just got too many question marks in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a red flag. I think. Okay. Well, at least a yellow. I'm kidding. I usually yeah. save red for <laughs> really big things. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it raises some questions that you don't want raised. Absolutely. All right. So as we continue on, is it possible to still be in the Army Reserve while going to medical school? Good question. Uh, I pseudo know this answer because I talk to a lot of Army Reserve people. And, and really what it comes down to, if you're in the reserves, you have to talk to your, your commander and get permission to, to go away. Because most likely you're not going to be, be available to drill uh, your one weekend a month, two weeks a year. So you need permission to go away to do that. Um, so that's that's the short answer. I love this guy's first name, Vontravian. Vontravian Sims. That's yes. an awesome name. Vontravian, I like your name. <laughs> if that is your name. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Another career changer question. I'm currently a nursing major. Would medical schools look at me weird if I switched to pre-med or became a nurse and then took the pre-med prereqs and applied to medical school? Brittany, what do you think? I don't think so. Yeah. Especially now, if you're just, you know, you're changing your major. Um, you know, if, but you have to decide, really, really think about 
what you want to do, right? Because it's two very different tracks. Yep. Uh, ultimately, you're in the healthcare field and you're helping people, but it is two very different tracks. Um, so if you, you know, continue with nursing, know that that's why you want to do it. If you're switching to pre-med, know that, you know, know the reasons why you're doing it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I talked to a student last week, I think, who basically had this same question and they're non-traditional and, and they're going the nursing track for their pre-med journey, knowing and understanding they've done their homework, which is great, knowing that a lot of pre nursing classes like chemistry for nurses and biology for nurses don't satisfy med school prereqs for the schools that still have prereqs. Uh, she understood that her rationale was it's something that I can do where I graduate, I can get a job, I can make money for my family because she has a kid um, while I'm saving up for medical school applications, MCAT prep and that kind of stuff. And so there was some logic behind her journey. And I was like, perfect, right? You understand the the potential risks in terms of just needing to take some extra classes. You, you got it. You're good. Mm -hmm. well, we haven't seen one of these in a while. Uh, BS in bio, SMP, 3.9 GPA, lots of clinical volunteer extracurriculars, but took the MCAT in April and got a 4.96. Retook in July, got a 4.99, used Blueprint. Already applied DO and MD. What are my chances? I love the what are my chances threads. <laughs> Where's my magic eight ball? <laughs> Not enough info. Um, yeah. Nobody can answer that, right? No. no, nobody has a crystal ball uh, mm -hmm. for all of the schools that you applied to on mm -hmm. on what they're going to weigh in terms of yeah. your your MCAT and GPA and everything else. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't know how you tell your story. We don't know how much your personal statement resonated, right? We do, yeah. we don't know when you applied. I mean, there's just mm -hmm. it's zero if you didn't apply, but you did apply, so more than zero. Yep. And zero. Yeah. Yep. Right. And even if we said, oh, my gosh, this is the best personal statement I've ever read. Oh, my gosh, your extracurriculars are phenomenal. And you talked about them really well. And your secondary essays are great. The medical schools may look at it and go four ninety nine. Can't take her. Mm -hmm. yep. We don't know. Yeah. Difficult to know. Yeah. I, I had that um, with a student a couple of years ago. She was a nurse, funny, funny enough, uh, was a nurse, took the MCAT 499, couldn't, couldn't break that 499 mark, mm -hmm. had decent mm -hmm. grades, um, and she applied and wasn't getting much traction. And so I talked to her on a Tuesday and the UC Davis conference, which was still in person then, uh, this was 2019, uh, was happening on, uh, on Saturday. And I said, if you can swing it, come to the conference, I'll introduce you to the deans and directors of admissions that I know that are going to be there tabling. And so she came and I introduced her to people. I introduced her to one, one specific one that, that just stands out to me uh, was a DO school, right? And we know that DO historically, they have lower requirements in terms of stats, although that's shifting as more and more students are getting more competitive uh, with their applications. Um, and she's straight up said, this director of admissions straight up said, my my board will not let me look at someone under 500 mm -hmm. period you're great but i can't mm -hmm. it just broke my heart yeah so. yeah, yeah she, i think she that ended up, she, she did end up <clears throat> I'll, I'll interject she did end up going to the double amc minority fair the next weekend or two weeks later ended up getting two md interviews two md acceptances awesome awesome yeah. that's awesome so cool. it worked what is the most inspirational turnaround story you admitted to medical school? Mm -hmm. Scott, you have any inspirational stories you remember? Let me ponder that question. Um, nothing really sticks out in my mind um, as in terms of a turnaround story. I mean, I, we did have a lot of students who, you know, struggled in their first year or two in college and, 
and uh, really were able to turn around and show that upward trend and and really were, were, were able to, you know, pull, pull together an application that really was uh, compelling. Uh, not there's no specific one. The, the, the one that stands out, which I, I don't know that I really I'd, I'd really call it a turnaround story, but it was a, a lady who um, the the she applied to medical school. She had uh, a family. I think she had three kids. She was a single mom. And uh, and, you know, just a you know, she really had to work and show her effort in, 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 in making it happen. And the year she, she got in, we, we, we enrolled, we uh, admitted her into, into UT Southwestern. The year she got in, she was 50 years old and uh, she became the president of her class all four years. Uh, was stupendous student. Uh, well, went, uh, left medical school, went into a pediatrics and is now out practicing medicine you know somewhere and but it was just a, a su such a wonderful story it, it really does illustrate a lot about uh about resilience about hard work and discipline and really showing that you want this to happen and and that you're going to do everything you can to make it happen and it's that kind of story that i always um uh, use as an illustration illustration to students who say well i can't you know, I can't do well in class because I work or because I do this. Or we're, and, I, and I'm like, no, you can. Uh, it, it depends on uh, how bad you want it and, and, and how good you are at time management and prioritizing what's important to you. Yeah. The, the one that stands out to me is, is uh, Kane, who was part of National Prima Day last year, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. He went to undergrad, got kicked out with like a sub two GPA and uh, went, just lived his life and was doing stuff that he wasn't super excited about, had some uh, life-changing experiences, decided he wanted to go to medical school, applied to go to uh, USF because he was living in Florida at the time and USF wouldn't let him in based on his prior grades. So he started in community college with his son, taking classes with his son, <laughs> ended up being able to transfer to USF uh, yeah. with his with his performance at community college, yeah. ended up getting into University of Central Florida Medical School. Um, and I just shot him an email to, to check in on him because I, I know he uh, he was uh, struggling with some match stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, uh, That's great, awesome. great story. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I had a, I, I did have a student last year or two years ago who um, uh, did the same thing, fl flunked out of, of college, actually got uh, addicted to some some uh, some drugs and ended up in drug rehab and, uh, you know, whole terrible experience, got his life together, went back to college extraordinarily uh, 4.0 in, 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 in biochemistry major. And, uh, and then, uh, 520 MCAT he's in medical school now. So that's a definite turnaround story where you, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what's happened to you. It depends on your motivation and your excitement and your perseverance in all yep. of those situations. That's the key. And medical schools love that kind of, that kind of turnaround story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking about Jamie, who was also in National Pre-Med Day from 2020. Um, I think she was on our student panel. And mm. it's been a while since I've talked to her, but I think she told me she dropped out of college three times before oh, she wow. enrolled and made it stick. So she had, you know, huge GPA um, overcoming issues and, you know, just had to focus on her trend, right? The cumulative yeah. was never going to be amazing because because of all the times that she she dropped out but um I, and I, i'm trying to remember now i think she's a third year um and then That's also awesome. brian torres who is a national pre-med that day this year and he's got an epic story and i mean you guys can go watch them talk on the here on map.tv and hear their stories firsthand but 100 percent agree the things that i always hear in common with those stories is they manage to stay positive when they had setbacks or obstacles, they didn't internalize it as failure. They just thought, what can I learn from it? And what can I do next? Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's such an important part to not let the situation get you down, to not let um, numbers on an exam or numbers on a transcript define you. You know, they, they believed in themselves and that's, that's so important to be able to internally motivate that kind of positivity. 
Um, Cause no one's going to give it to you, right? If you're looking anywhere outside of you for that sort of inspiration, you're in the wrong direction, right? You've got to, right. you've got to give it to yourself. And that's, that, right. that's what I definitely see in common with those folks. Yep. Yeah, like being willing to, to keep going, try it again. Okay. Do, do it again. Do it again. Not giving yep. up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Hope that helps Heather. Thanks for taking us down memory lane. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. How lenient are interviewers toward ESL candidates who aren't very eloquent as English isn't their first language? I've got a couple of interviews and I am freaking out as English is my third language. Says Calvin Klein. I love your underwear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, this this is a fear, right? A a students, uh, whether English is their second language or maybe they they. English is is a close first, um, but they have a strong accent based on where they're from. Um, and, and the answer is, it's going to depend on the interviewer and, and how biased they potentially are um, towards whatever accent you may have. And and hopefully, you uh, practice obviously and and enunciate and all the normal things that you would try to do in normal day to day life. My my general advice typically when I when I talk to students like this is if you're communicating well enough that your friends understand you, your teachers understand you, you're going to be fine in an interview. Just yeah. relax and, and be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And practice. Yeah, yeah. practice. But, you know, and, and I'm taking you literally here, Calvin, when you say aren't very eloquent. You don't have to be eloquent. Not everybody yeah. is eloquent. You just mm-hmm. have to be clear. Right. So don't don't worry about your 75 cent words. Right. Most of us use nickel and quarter words all the time. Um, exactly. I, Ryan, what was it you were saying the other day? I think New York Ex- Times writes in an eighth or ninth grade level. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So you don't uh, it, it's OK to um, look at me. I'm stuttering and I've been speaking English my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK to need a moment to find your thoughts. That honestly wasn't planned, guys. I just covered um, it's okay to need a moment to take your th- to, to find your thoughts. It's okay to use a simple word instead of a more complicated word. Um, so, um, unlike, honestly, Dr. Often... unlike Dr. Gray, who likes to use words like extraordinaire, extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's my only big word that I know. I'm, yeah, I am actually, horrible with like my Dr. vocabulary. Gray is not in big words. He calls me out no. for using them. I'm not ashamed. Like, what does that mean? I don't know that word. <laughs> yeah. No one should ever okay. be ashamed for not knowing things because right. having information is, yeah. That's how you learn. All right. Let's move on. Let me find our next one. Do, do, do. And that, that goes with personal statements and, and your mm-hmm. essay writing as well. Keep the big words yeah. out of there. Do not yeah. open the thesaurus to write your essays. No. no, 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 no. Right. Yeah, which isn't to say that big words are penalized. We're just saying, yeah, if you if you got to go down the thesaurus route to find them, if you're writing and then substituting out, that's that's probably going to look fake. Yeah. But, um, I'm only saying that because sometimes I get accused of using big words that I don't think are big. So just <laughs> write the way you think, right? Whatever words you're thinking are the words you should write. I got an F in my accounting class for business degree before switching to biology. Can I hide my bad grade from a class or should I retake a class not related to my biology degree? They uh, see all. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, they yeah. can certainly. Sorry. Yeah. Walk us through Virginia. Virginia. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. It's been a while. <laughs> the jar. You talk. <laughs> Um, no, no, it's, it's that you can't hide it. Unfortunately, you can't run away from it, whether or not to retake it. Uh, it's your choice. Uh, sure. It'll make your GPA go up a little bit, but if it's not a class that you're going to need in your current major, you might be better off using that time in that, you know, that space in your schedule for something that will benefit you. Maybe a science class that's going to sort of balance things out a little bit. Um, but you can't run away from it, unfortunately. Um, and if you're switching to, to pre-med, it's the reality is they're, they're, they're going to be more focused on your other courses. Yeah. 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 yeah there's, there's nothing magical about retaking the same accounting class mm-hmm. and getting an A in that to show, look, I'm not bad at accounting, <laughs> right? Taking another class and getting an A, it's the same, the, the math mm-hmm. works out the same GPA wise. So don't worry about retaking the class, not related to biology, just focus on 
moving forward and don't hide grades from amcast because they are required that you put everything on there and they have access to clearing houses which house all of your data etc yeah. so and, be careful and that, yeah. i'm at a black ball Bing! big red flag yeah it, it'll be yeah. very interesting I, I was i was looking into this the other day uh with the blockchain um the blockchain is amazing technology that has the potential to do a lot right and right now it's this buzzword of like bitcoin and all this other stuff but there are companies out there actively working on moving transcripts and academic records onto the blockchain because that's public information that can't change and you can't hide from it and so i, I can picture a time in the future where we call them wallets on, on the blockchain um where you have like your own little wallet that is public and and you know your your wallet information it's not like oh this is john smith's wallet but you know your address and that you just plug in your address to amcas acomas tmdsas and and they automatically see everything that your your schooling has put on the the blockchain that can't change so it's really cool technology yep and hopefully we'll make verification much faster in the future <laughs> yeah I'm a scribe at my local ED and have obtained just over 200 hours over a course of three months. My parents are trying to convince me to quit since I have met the requirements. <laughs> what should I do? So I would love to ask your parents, what are the requirements that they are speaking of? Because yeah. I don't know any. No, me either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't quit. Parents. I, I wonder if their parents are physicians too, or somehow have inside knowledge. Yeah. Or are their parents just helicopter parents? Mm. Yeah. Could be. I was All of the above. We were on the Chardonnay circuit. <laughs> What's the Chardonnay circuit? <laughs> oh, it's, it's um, you know, like they're at country clubs gossiping about their kids. Like, oh. Other, <laughs> <they're> like, <laughs> you know, he should be doing clinical. He should be getting in a lab. Mm. Wrong. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. So I. I mean, nothing against your parents. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. yeah. That advice is not good. No. <laughs> they may be lovely people. So, so the answer is, Brandon, uh, if you enjoy being a scribe, continue doing it because it's a valuable experience. If you don't like being a scribe, go find some other clinical experience to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, but, but don't quit just because you got 200 hours. No. The big mistake a lot of students make freshman year check. I got my hundred hours mm -hmm. of clinical hundred hours of shadowing. Now I have sophomore, junior, senior year to screw off and study for the MCAT. Yep. Not good. Yep. And let's dig into that a little deeper just to make sure people understand the idea with clinical is that you're getting patient interaction. You're not proving this to med schools. You are proving to yourself that you want to work with patients for the rest of your life. So first and foremost for yourself, if you don't enjoy that particular kind of clinical and you want a different clinical, that's great, like Ryan and Scott were saying. But optically, if you do clinical for a little while and then don't do it again, and there's a big gap between when you got some hours and when you go to med school, it could send the message that you didn't really like it at all, in which case, mm -hmm. why are you applying to med school? Mm -hmm. So if it, this is a common misconception. So if you didn't know, and not just for our question asker, but for everybody, now you know, slow and steady and consistent is way better than a big cram. Yep. And knowing is half the battle. Yep. It's G.I. Joe. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, come on. <laughs> I bet your kids know. G.I. Joe. No. I mean, I know GI Joe, but I don't know that reference. It was it was the oh. end, the end of every episode. Um, talked about now you know knowing is half the battle. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. For we yeah. who watched cartoons in the eighties, I know <laughs> Saturday morning the best time of the week. Yeah, <sighs> I wish the Saturday <laughs> morning that. cartoons still I existed. Missed, yeah, right. I missed that. Uh, how do we write about our, quote, negative experiences with a positive attitude? For example, dealing with an ongoing condition and wanting to pursue medicine because of it. Very common question. All right. What do you think, Verenia? 
Um, how has this situation or condition made you stronger? How have you, you know, learned to deal with it, manage it, uh, you know, and how could you take that, um, those skills, I guess, and, you know, help somebody else going through the same thing or going through a different condition. Those are all ways of spinning it uh, in a more positive way. Um, you know, and, and it, not everything's going to be roses. Obviously, you know, if it's a challenging situation, it, it is what it is. You embrace it. Um, but but trying to approach it from a perspective of how has this made me stronger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I really like that. Um, the other thing that uh, I often like to say around this kind of stuff is uh, talk about your scars, not your open wounds. Now, you mentioned it's an ongoing condition, so I understand you're still dealing with it. But anything you put in um, your application is fair game in the interview. So if every time you talk about your condition, or maybe not every time, but lots of times when you talk about your condition, you break down in tears, then maybe you don't want it in your application because maybe you don't want to risk crying in the interview. Um, But if you feel like, yeah, even though this is an ongoing thing, I've got some perspective, I've figured out how it makes me stronger, I can talk about it and keep my cool, then, then yeah, share that story. That's a good point. Yep. All right, well, we've got a few minutes left. Cherry pick a couple more here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one up here because it comes up a bunch, and I, I think it's a good one. Will yeah. an unbalanced MCAT hurt me? I have a 514 but a 125 cars. While I have submitted 25 secondaries in July, I have only one interview thus far. So common question, Rachel, what, what do you say to, to this type of question? My short answer is no. I mean, a 514 is amazing. So congratulations. Um, A lower car score can be something that stands out. um, But 125 is not, you know, egregiously low. low. (laughs) Um, 514 with a 121, maybe. (laughs) Right. Or if you had a 118, right, if you were at the very bottom of the scale, then we someone would worry, someone would notice. Um, But, you know, there could be a whole bunch of reasons that you only have one interview so far. and it, they early. don't have to be that they don't have to yeah. be bad reasons so right. i wouldn't right. i wouldn't be sweating yet no. yeah. and congrats you got one interview that's awesome mm-hmm. one interview that's a lot more than a lot of students have right. and it is still very early as we're recording yeah. this mm-hmm. it's september 1st it's still very early in this game yeah. so um lots of other things that we don't know about right and this is this is why we uh, e- even in our map software, we try to focus less on stats is your MCAT score is just one small part of your application. What's your GPA? What is your trend? What are your extracurriculars look like? Um, what, how did you write your personal statement? What did you put for your activity descriptions? How did you do your secondary essays? There are a thousand reasons for, for why someone gets an interview or doesn't get an interview. And then, the MCAT is one small part of that. Yep. Well, we're talking about interviews. I want to remind everybody that today we have two live sessions. So again, it's September 1st for those who are uh, listening to the replay. Uh, but you can go to map.com slash MMI and uh, sign up for the session we have later. That one is closed. So you've got to register to come to it. You don't, It's mm-hmm. not going to be on YouTube, um, mm-hmm. but it's not too late to join. Yeah, and that's 4 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. That's what happens when I write banners on the fly. I forget about yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Come hang out awesome. with us. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. We'll see you again. Yeah. Put you in the hot seat. All right. All right. For Dr. Ryan Gray, I really benefited from the e-shadowing sessions. As I'm Canadian, will you be counting these sessions? Oh, continuing. Oh, continuing. I can't count. I can't read either. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, for the for the foreseeable future, we have we have people still still going. Um, I was just just chatting with my team about next week because I have my schedule blocked for Labor Day, uh, but I'm I'm planning on opening it up so we can get a, a e-shadowing guest in there. Um, so yeah, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be doing it. 
Awesome. Uh, Rachel, you want to talk for a second about Mapped? Let's uh, chat about Mapped and and the Mapped platform. So if you didn't know, Mapped, uh, as the team that you see here, uh, we do one-on-one advising, but the the impetus for Mapped, the the kind of the brainchild for Mapped, was a technology platform that you, the pre-med, could track all of your courses, your activities, uh, your applications, medical school lists, um, everything related to being a pre-med student. Uh, we wanted you to be able to track in one place uh, in 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 mapped uh and so that's what mapped is we launched last year now it's it's been a year now we've been in in public beta um from a year ago we're not in beta anymore um and students love it uh we're getting tons of great feedback that it helps uh students prepare them for their applications because they have all of their information in one spot our idea of mapped is as soon as you know you're a pre-med student you should sign up for a free account go check it out if you like it sign up and use it every day every week once a month whatever it is that fits your needs um rachel pulled up the demo here uh you can see it has nice pretty graphs showing you gpa trends remember amcas acomas tmdsas all calculate gpas a little bit differently so what gpa you see on your transcripts doesn't necessarily equal the gpa that you'll see from the application services. You can track your your MCAT scores, all of your practice tests, diagnostics, et cetera. Um, uh, Tracking all of your prereqs to make sure that you know what prereqs are involved. So uh, there's a custom roadmap too, is one of the newer features that uh, is, that one feature is in beta and we have lots of new stuff uh, planned for that in the future. But based on when you tell us you wanna start medical school, we'll kind of lay out the whole path for you and let you know what you should be thinking and working on all the way down to celebrating your white coat ceremony. Woohoo. Yeah. And one of the newest features we added to Mapped is is chat, which is under advising right now. We're going to change it to chat. You can either chat with your school advisor or mentor for free, or you can chat with one of us uh, at a, a small cost per month or per year and have access to us like doing this but more private where it's just you and one of one of us answering your um, one of your questions. So it's very easy to invite your school advisor into mapped and they can have read only access to all of your stuff as well. So just a brief look at mapped. I thought we'd show you and uh, check that out, but um, that's what I got. Awesome. Let's go check it out. Um, Anything else, Rachel? Are we good to go? Uh, I, I had was one more question. I think you wanted to pull up. Oh, maybe I was semitasking, so I wanted to say, did we talk about thirty days free? Um, yeah, let's do thirty days free. Oh, all right. So, uh, if you want to try out Mapped, it is no credit card, no obligation. We always offer you fourteen days of a free trial before you join. But um, because you're listening to Ask the Dean or watching Ask the Dean. If you enter code 30 days free, so that's three zero days free, um, there'll be a referral code when you're registering your account. Enter it there, and what that'll do is give you the trial for 30 days. So you have lots of time to use Mapped. Uh, it does take a little bit of work to get going. You gotta enter your courses, you gotta enter your activities. But after you've spent even 20 or 30 minutes giving us some information, we're gonna start spitting out those graphs and giving you feedback, and you're gonna start to really see that value. Um, and we also have a lot of support systems in place. So once you join, be looking for emails and updates from us so that you can get help using the system. Yep. 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 Yeah, I did want right. to pick one more question, see if I can find it real quick. It was, um, it was when should we worry? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> when should we worry? I finished all of my secondaries. Now the long winter begins. When should <laughs> we start to worry if we do not hear back from medical schools? Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's been the general rule of thumb. Thanksgiving maybe shifted a little bit with COVID last year, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit this year. Mm-hmm. But that's general rule of thumb. So we, we still got some time, people. Yeah, yeah a couple months before you, or really two and a half months before you start yeah. worrying too much. Breathe. This, this process is so much like parenting. <laughs> yeah. Always worried. This is your baby. <laughs> yep. So I, I understand. Yeah. And also like parenting, the days are long and the years mm. are short. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. And the knife. All right, everyone. I can't believe it's September 1st, 2020 Ooh. is coming to a close. 2021 is 20, coming to a close. Um, thank you all for joining us here live on Instagram and on YouTube, whatever channel you're watching on. We're going to be here every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So thanks for coming. And if you're watching this live and you want to come check out our MMI workshop, um, that uh, link that we posted is not the right one because it says av your mmi <laughs> it should be ace your mmi um <sighs> but that is I'll okay fix we'll fix that uh come come join <laughs> us for our live workshop this afternoon hey, everyone have a wonderful day we'll see you soon bye, -bye. All right, guys. take care everyone this is dr gray again closing out i hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out mapped i invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.